honor, chivalry, gallantry. These are what we think of when we hear the stories of the Knights of King Arthur's Round Table. But with his newest film, director David Lowry shines a light on a story that calls these very values into question. What is the value of courage? What is the cost of honor? With stunning visuals and a talented cast, it is these questions that Lowry hopes to answer. So join us on this episode of Script or Screen as we sit down to discuss the chivalric romance of The Green Knight. Welcome back to another 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 wonderful edition of Script or Screen. I am one of your hosts, Christopher Sir Kitchen uh, of the wonderful world of South Florida. Uh, alongside me, as always, is the wonderful co-host, Sir Zach Strackman. Uh, Zach, how are you? I'm 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 doing pretty good. How about you? Not too bad. I am. Um, I let me tell you, this is uh, really interesting intro coming off the cusp of the last week's uh, fantastic uh editing works of the man billy blesser as always billy we give you our thanks we give you our love you are a very talented individual we are so happy to have you on bravo, the sir. team many bravos a round of applause if you will yay i'm glad you liked it and thank you for actually clapping i feel like editing in an applause sound effect for myself would have been really douchey well, Zach, here we are again, another fine edition of our wonderful podcast. As always, you can find Scripture Screen at our website, www.scripturescreen.com or anchor.fm forward slash Scripture Screen. There you can find all of our past episodes and you can leave us a message as well. Don't forget, you can also find us on social media at Scripture Screen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Zach, you've actually pointed out a good thing to me as of recently. There may be some, some difficulties finding us on YouTube. Uh, however, I found a good workaround to this. Oh, is to when you type in Scripture Screen in the search bar, if you hit channels, I believe we're the first, if not one of the first, to show up. Well, the, well, there you go. Um, don't forget to leave us a comment, leave us a message. Hey, we love interacting with our audience. We love our questions getting asked. Last week we discussed uh, the question of the week was favorite characters from Suicide Squad. This, well, I guess that was two weeks ago, but this last week it's. Uh, Point Break or Bad Boys 2, Zach. Point Break or Bad Boys 2? Uh, I like Point Break. I like I like me some Keanu, some Patrick Swayze. I know. I like when we uh, get on our backs and shoot uh, bullets into the sky. Um, that's, yeah. That is how we do it down here. That's, that's how we do. Um, so, back... God, let... I have to check our... Our... What do you call them? The archives, real fast. So back in, uh, when was this? This was in January of okay. this fine year that we are living in, twenty twenty one. It's not fine. Twenty one twenty one's kind of been a piss year, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, but January of this year, we put out a uh, video, a podcast. Not a video. It's all audio. We put out a podcast that was all about our most anticipated films of the year. And uh, some have come to pass. And this, today, we are talking about one of those films, The Green Knight. Oh, uh, finally. Yeah. Uh, I know when uh, I first saw the trailers for this movie, I was like, I was so hyped. I love fantasy. Uh, Dev Patel, great actor. David Lowry you know, a very acclaimed director. And it's A24. A24 rarely does wrong. 
I was going to say, can you name a more recent A24 film that didn't agree with you? Didn't sit well uh, in the stomach? Let me look at their movies, because I, I also want to add, really I, just... I did find the episode. Episode 16, uh, which was released on January 27th of this year, has our most anticipated films of 2021, or as we titled it, 2020 movies in 2021. Um, which oh, yeah. We felt was an appropriate title. And I, I want to say we're coming up on into a bunch of those films um, in these latter months of the year. Um, we still have, the I mean, September, October, November, December. Um, and, you know, I think September alone has like two or three of these guys. And then I know Dune got pushed. And mm-hmm. but, I mean, we still have a bunch of films. So please, if yeah. you haven't listened to that episode yet, um, it's available. Uh, go back and listen to it. Be prepared. If you're not informed on new film release dates, those were some of our most anticipated films. Um, but anyways, so uh, you were saying. Um, looking at looking at the uh, the films that have been uh, produced by A24, you really, I mean, you have to go back pretty far to find stuff that's not like objectively good. So there's the Green Knight. Obviously, we're going to talk about that now. But Val right. just came out on Amazon. Everyone's been raving about it. The documentary about Val Kilner. So let me ask uh, you a question, because A24, I know they helped produce the film, but I don't think, they're not responsible for the distribution. I think uh, Amazon got the rights to distribute the film. Uh, Green Knight? No, 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 no. no. Or um, Val. Val, the documentary. Yeah, they were just, they were just, they just did the production. They just, okay. yeah, they pr- distributed uh, with Amazon. Okay, cool. Um, Zola, uh, I'm just talking about like literally in the past like oh, two years. You, but, you know uh, who's in Zola is... um. Hughes in succession. Um, what's his name? I don't know. It's uh, Nick something. Um, but he plays Nicholas uh, Braun. Yeah, he, he plays Greg the Egg in um, <laughs> in succession. One of the, the best characters. He was nominated for an Emmy for the role. And so it was really interesting to see him in, the, in that role. In but, uh, but yeah, just looking at these. I mean, I mean, Minari, First Cow, Uncut Gems, The Lighthouse, uh, uh, Midsommar. I think we like, reviewed the the I mean. What was the last A twenty four film we did? Uh, I guess it was Minari, but we went through their roster. Yeah, uh, just it's the quality just, is second they, to none. They have a way of um, just I don't know. They their their selection, how they choose what they're going to uh, put their money toward. I don't know what their selection process is, but it's fantastic. Um, yeah. I know their next upcoming film is Lamb with oh, um my god. Uh, Oh, what's what's the actress's name? Um, uh, Numi Rapace from uh, the Swedish Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, and for American audiences like um, uh, Prometheus. But yeah, um, that film it, looks super interesting. <laughs> it looks so creepy, and I am for it. It's so. like the thing of everybody's nightmares. Yeah, I I have this horrible suspicion that the dude fucked the the sheep or something. Um, I don't know if that's too crazy for A24, but after seeing things like uh, Hereditary and Midsommar and it, other It's not, films, not in their alley. You know what? <laughs> I, I realize that could sound very out of context. If you haven't seen the trailer for this film, Lamb, um, it is available. Um, please go and type it into your search bars. Um, I think in some uh, territories it's titled like Mother Nature Lamb or something like that. Yeah. Um, but lamb i think is overall the, the title it's like just type lamb film watch the trailer be just as creeped out as the rest of the world um and then please enjoy when the film comes out because honestly um 
it looks uh, quite interesting. Right. It, it looks so good. And of course, they do that thing where they take a song I like and start putting it to <laughs> to very unsettling imagery. Yeah. Uh, and now I can't listen to God Only Knows by the by the Beach Boys. What is it about the Beach Boys? Such I mean, or any classic song it's the, really? Because they're pleasant. You know? Yeah. And it's the it's it, the, it, the incongruity. Is perfect. Yeah, the incongruity of like a very pleasant song with very unpleasant visuals. Anyway, we're getting off track. The Green Knight is a 2021 epic medieval fantasy film directed by one David Lowry. And uh, Chris, why don't you give us a little rundown of what this little film is all about? You know, I've been doing this thing lately where um, I would read the, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes ones, but I just feel like they've been a little too long lately. So I'm going to hit us with a rather short one, and maybe we can fill in the blanks with some fun bits. I do want to let everybody know we're going to try to do some non-spoilery discussion the first couple minutes, and then we will move on into full spoilers. We will let you know exactly when we will uh, exit the spoiler-free discussion. Um, Yes. So uh, thanks to IMDb, this perfect one-sentence... Synopsis of the film uh, reads as a fantasy retelling of the medieval story of Sir Garwin and the Green Knight. Um, ah, I see you went with uh, Sean Harris's pronunciation of I, of it, of his uh, of his name. We will discuss it. This is very interesting. Yes, um, I, I I have things to say. <laughs> um, but what do you think about that synopsis? It's just a retelling of this uh, tall tale, if you will. Uh, I mean, God, I, I mean, I could say any movie that's actually based <laughs> off something is just a retelling yeah. of that thing. But you know what? Sure. Um, for mean... for those who are going into this movie, who who want to see this movie and they don't know what it is, so yes, it is based off the story, the uh, Arthurian tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Um, which is about a Sir Gawain. He is a knight of King Arthur's court. He sits he's, at the round he's table. Second generation Arthur's court. He is, yeah. He is. He is young, and because of that, he is inexperienced. He doesn't have like grand adventures to to be known. This ain't no Lancelot. Yeah, well, Lancelot's. He, he's he should have said that. He should have said that. <laughs> this. He's no Galahad. There you go. There you go. But um, but. On on Christmas Day, in walks the Green Knight, who, depending on your adaptation and your t- interpretation, could be a monster man or just a guy in all green. Um, and he's wielding a big axe, and he says, One of you knights, come forth and land a blow on me, and if you do it, I will give you this axe, and one year hence, I will... Uh, I will meet Return you the at the striking blow. Yes, you will meet me at my chapel, and I will give you exactly what you gave me, and in and then you get to keep the axe. Isn't that fun? And so, uh, what's his name? Gawain steps up, does the thing, and then has to uh, live with the consequences. And that's our movie. So, isn't this fun? <laughs> I would say it's definitely not the film I had expected only because I didn't I I don't know how much knowledge I knew beforehand going into it. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I mean, all I went was by the trailers, and obviously the trailers just said, here's everything you need to know about the Greens. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I making saw it quite that one. entertaining, um, which is fantastic, you know, like, but there was something about the aesthetics. Um, I mean, also, A24 films, just, they draw me, and I don't know what the hell it is about them, but they really know how to um, create these really weird stories. Um, but yeah, I heard a criticism about this film that uh, it wasn't as high uh, fidelity fantasy as some people were expecting, and I don't think it needed to be because it's not like Arthurian tales or legends. I, I don't think they're the things of of like Tolkien, they are not. Right? No, they're not all. high fantasy at all. They're like yeah. the most magic you get is it's a magic cup or it's a wizard who may or may not just be like a guy who's good with like potions and stuff right um and a sword and a woman in a lake you know like they're they're minor things but um but i think we'll get into like the the arthurian legends and um kind of the the mythos and how that impacts the film uh especially more once we get into spoiler territory but um let's let's quickly run down everybody behind the camera on this one, and then we'll talk about the people in front of the camera. Okay. So, uh, this film is directed, written, and edited by David Lowry himself. David Lowry being the acclaimed director of such films as Ain't Them Body Saints, the live-action remake of Pete's Dragon, A Ghost Story, The Old Man and the Gun, and The Green Knight. You know what's crazy? I, I look at films both the old man and the gun and Mm -hmm. a ghost story which were completed within a year of each other two very very different films he and pete's dragon right after not right after three years after ain't them body saints but uh yeah he he has a very interesting um uh track record i guess by the way he has this other film coming up soon uh peter pan and wendy uh, which yeah. is another Disney film uh, to be released. So that's interesting that he has this great relationship with large, incredible executive studio Disney, but then he could also work on you know smaller, more intimate projects. Though I guess this one's considered more of an adaptation. I think it has the same amount of care put into it that A Ghost Story also oh, um, definitely. showed us, for sure. Definitely. And if I could uh, just uh, please, uh, to the moderators i guess of wikipedia i i know you're listening um please change his picture on wikipedia oh, what are you talking about that's the, such a great photo with the mustache no he looks like <laughs> he looks like either a uh like turn of the century like snake oil salesman or a person who's like sells drugs in like a seedy bar bathroom i, I imagine and, he was one of the uh the Faces that they modeled uh, in um, Red Dead Redemption, um, <laughs> right. any of the games. Yeah, he looks so. Per- you know, it's yeah, funny. Like, I, th- I, I look at this image and I also see like Casey Affleck at the time where he grew all that hair, and I just imagine that's what he would also look like if he shaved everything but the giant mustache. Maybe. Um, so. But um, I've seen like recent like interviews with him and and videos uh, where he breaks down a few yeah. scenes, and he doesn't look like that anymore. So it's just <laughs> weird that like. Who's this? Someone... <laughs> no, there's a really popular filmmaker as well. Or I guess he's more of like a television animator, but Jonan Vasquez, who did um, uh-huh. Invader Zim, he's like notably, um, or I guess he's known for how much he hates his uh, Wikipedia photo 
to the point where it's even written on his Wikipedia page that like, oh, he's been outspoken about how much he dislikes the photo used for his profile photo on Wikipedia. <laughs> and they still don't change it. And it's hilarious. I gotta I gotta see this now. Is it, it's, it should be the one where he's at like at Comic Con or something. Um I think. <laughs> I mean it's just a normal picture of him. Anyway. <laughs> just hates it, he says. He's very spoken about it. But uh so uh obviously this is based off the poem uh Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, uh which the movie is very uh happy to point out is by anonymous. Uh we don't really know who the Green Knight poet was. I believe they're also called the Poet of Pearls, but um yeah, it's you know, it's an old it's an old uh text. Uh, cinematography by Adam Draws Palermo. Hey, Adam Great job. I think so. Um, yeah. <laughs> Music by Daniel Hart. Uh, Daniel, great job. And uh, this movie just released, like, a couple weeks ago. It was July 30th, 2021 was when it released. It's yeah. got a runtime of 130 minutes, so just, just, a, uh, just a small bit over two hours. And for a budget of $15 million, it has made $15 million. Hey, that's pretty good. And I broke also, even. I want to add that I don't know how much marketing has went into this film. So far, I've only seen things on social media, but I don't think they're paying for like giant ad campaigns. I, but however, I also don't think that many A twenty four films do um, large like television spots or anything like that. I think they they know their audience and where they have the most reach. Um, yes, but I, I also think they bring a lot of that back. And also, this is streaming on several different platforms. It's on Amazon. It's on uh, a bunch of... If you look on A24's page on their website for it, they like list all the places where you can stream it. Yeah, I also want to add, like they, they are finally... You know how we uh, kind of predicted that after Minari had their the A24 screening room availability? Yep. Um, we had hoped for the Green Knight as well to be available on the service. And, in fact, it was beginning last week. Um, or actually, no, they said it, it's available one night only um, tomorrow, August 18th. So as of the recording, I don't know if they'll <laughs> all be offering it again. Maybe they will, depending so, on the success. Minari had like a great like weekend kind of thing where I think they did for like two weeks. So maybe they'll continue it after the fact. But um, there is virtual cinema streaming services available to everybody. Um, and I think I saw like a matinee showing of this. It was like a $10 ticket. In an empty theater, which was kind of sad, um, but it allowed my partner and I to discuss uh, just some things we thought about in the film without having to bother anybody else in the theater. So that was, I mean, it was a fun experience. Yeah, there you go. When was the last time you could say you watched a movie by yourself in the theater? Mm, I I think on the show I said the last time that happened was when I went and saw New Mutants. Or, no, 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 (laughs) it was, uh, what was the one before that? Uh, The... Harley Quinn, uh, Birds oh, of Birds film. of Prey, yeah, that that as well. But uh, no, I was hoping I was going to be uh, to have the theater to myself because when I bought my ticket, I was like, oh, there's no one there. Yes, I'll just be able to to live in this movie. But no, people showed up. Thankfully, they were silent. They didn't ruin the film. Ah, uh, okay. So maybe I was just ruining it for all the invisible people around me. <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about this cast. We have Dev Patel, fantastic actor. Obviously. I love seeing him on the screen again. I've missed him in a while. I, I, I think he's taken his time. He's definitely revealed, I think, on a Hollywood Reporter roundtable video that he's being very selective about the roles he's he's been taking since uh, the whole Avatar fiasco. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you know what? It it hasn't done him any wrong. Like Lion was a great film he was in. Um, uh, personal history of David Copperfield. Exactly. I think he's he's made a lot of good choices in terms of his career as of late. So I'm I'm glad that I get him in in smaller increments, um, but with better performances. Yep. And let's see who we got next. We got Alyssa Vikander. Uh, well, well, we'll discuss the roles later. But uh, Alyssa Vikander, great, great actor. Uh, got I heard to she's s- in a lot of things now, recently. Well, yes, I've seen her. I mean, I will say I myself and I think a lot of people, the first exposure to her was Ex Machina. Oh, um, which- you're right. I remember seeing that in theaters because uh, I was very interested in the premise, and uh, it's a very cool, very kind of freaky film. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got Sarita Coterie. I'm sorry if I butcher people's names. I don't really know her from much. Let's see. She's been in a lot of stuff. She's got a lot of... A lot of things, movies listed. I guess she was in some of the Hunger Games movies. Oh, okay. And um, and other stuff. Okay. Um, Sean Harris. Again, I'm gonna keep saying this. Great actor. Uh, he's in a bunch of really cool stuff. He's recently played uh antagonist in a few of the Mission Impossible movies. Solomon Lane. Yeah, he was uh. Um, he was in this uh, British series called Southcliffe, uh, which is really, really good. Uh, very short series, but it, it deals with some issues of uh, domestic uh, domestic issues in a small town. I definitely recommend it. Um, but he's also in Prometheus. I remember he was kind of like a an a hole in Prometheus, but he was like he was kind of like that the crazy guy of the crew who. He's got those cool balls that that yeah. uh, uh, scope out the ship. That's uh, definitely. So, de- oh yeah, go ahead. So these next two cast members, I like how you wrote them in the notes because I, I there's a relationship between them. Uh, yes. Is that they're both former stars from Game of Thrones, and that is and oh, and also Game of Thrones and uh, The Witch, another oh. great film. Uh, I believe of I, the A twenty four variety. I was going to say it's also A twenty four, and that's Kate Dickey and Ralph Ineson. Um, yep, Kate Dickey as uh, you know played uh, the infamous um, what's her name uh, Aunt Liza. Um, yes, Liza Airy. Um, and Ralph Ineson, I forget his character's name, but he was the guy that left Theon Greyjoy. He, to yeah, his he doom. was he was one of the <laughs> Ironborn. Um, and I mean, he's, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He's always that guy who I don't know his name until right. I did a, a podcast episode where I had to name him. <laughs> and, when, uh, you know what? I, I gotta say when they first, um, when we first saw the trailer for the film, his voice was so like, Oh, it's this one. It's got like that perfect level of rasp where I yeah, absolutely I, loved it. Um, but I just couldn't fucking put my finger on it as to where I heard him. And then, you know, lo and behold, IMDb helps everything. Exactly. Um, but yeah, uh, also just uh, two very talented actors. Uh, this next guy, this was a cool one. Um, These were both, uh, like, I didn't even realize they were in the film. I knew the, this this next uh, person was in the film, and I didn't know about this other one. Uh, Barry 
uh, Kyogen, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Yeah. Uh, so he was, uh, I think the thing I know him most from was uh, Dunkirk. He played uh, the boy, uh, George, who goes on the boat with... Uh, right. I was, yeah, I was going to say... With uh, Mark Rylance. I like that he definitely has a lot more to do in this one versus in Dunkirk. Um, but his face yeah, is super familiar. We'll we'll talk about him more, um, kind of like his performance here. Shout uh, out to Mark Rylance, who's like one of my favorite actors ever. Yeah, and uh, we're, I look forward to seeing uh, Barry Kogan in The Eternals coming out uh, soon. Oh, that's true. He is in The Eternals. Yep. And uh, the next person on the uh, cast list is Aaron Kellyman, uh, Carly Morgenthau herself. I was going to say Carly Morgenthau and um, Enfys Ness from Solo. That's right. <laughs> uh, she played uh, Saint Saint Winifred, um, which we'll talk you, about that. You that's I was going to say, a, you don't even need to include the name. We'll, you know. Yeah, the, the fact that she is Saint Winifred is very interesting because of its context or lack thereof with the Green Knight. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll get into that. And uh lastly, I think the only other person worth really mentioning of note is uh one one kind of, you know, small-time actor. Maybe you've heard of him. He's been in a couple of films in there. Joel Edgerton. <laughs> Dude, again, another surprise. There were so many people in this film. I had no idea they were in this film. Um, yeah, I, I you know I, I said this on the last episode or two. Just I've been kind of disregarding like movie promotions and like deep dive research before I go see them. And it's been a little freeing because then I get these fun little surprises as a audience member in the film. Like it's it's kind of nice. The only thing yes. I get to see are like initial trailers, and then uh, my life becomes a train wreck, and I don't have time to you know <laughs> Google every little thing about every movie. Yeah, I mean that's how it is. Uh, that's that's how it can be. Um, but let us now turn our minds to just our general non-spoiler takes on the film before we plunge into the crimson red depths. Um, that's a reference that non-spoiler people won't get. So, Chris, how do you like this film? I'll definitely. I'll tell you what I. I don't know what I was... It's not that I don't know what I was expecting. Um, but I would equate uh, my viewing of this film, I feel like it is the equivalent to 2015's Macbeth. Are you familiar with this? Starring Michael yes. Fassbender? And, yes. Um, that film, I think you and I both agree, and, and even there's a video essay about it, is the description of like every frame of painting. Um, and it's all like... It, it takes a lot of the um, Shakespearean aspects of it and and doesn't stray too far from that per se, but like adds onto it as like a, a, a form of art. And I mm-hmm. feel like this film does that as well. It like we kind of mentioned earlier, it's not high fantasy. You know? Right. It takes place in fantasy, but like it it focuses a lot on just kind of its own characters, its own story. Um, but it pays such attention to detail in one the settings and the locations that we're shooting in because there there's a lot of really great uh, locations and, and stuff here. So I, I was able to take a lot from that and um, as well as like Dev Patel's performance specifically. I there's such an innocence to him. One is like mm-hmm. in his like his facial features and and just like 
I think he was really able to embody this character of of uh, Garwin or Gawain, um, and I I just love like the richness in like the old English kind of style of doing things. One in like the pronunciations of the names, like like Garwin. I've read it as Gawain since hearing about it, you know. Right. And so when when we get like King Arthur um, in this film, and he that's when we get his his name pronounced. I think. Um, yeah. It was it, it kind of threw me off a little bit, but I think I liked it more so for the fact that it took a very specific area, um, an accent, and like uh, it, that's the way we were going to treat it for the rest of the film. Um, yeah, there's actually a really interesting uh, interview with uh, Lowry, David Lowry, who um, when when he is he brings that uh, point up about the pronunciation and how he had always said Gawain. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until the day of shooting that um, Sean Harris, who plays King Arthur in this film, um, said Garwin, and mm-hmm. it never occurred to him that it would that that could be a pronunciation for it. And he thought about correcting uh, Sean Harris on the pronunciation, but then he said he trusted his actor. He said Sean Harris is not someone who does something, you know without without reason so he just let it go and let it be in the film and to hell with anyone who says different yeah um but like so so those were the parts of the film that kept me kind of further interested however there was a lot of the mystery about the lore itself that i didn't know about um it i don't i wasn't taken out of the film but i felt like certain areas were too drawn out um and that's fair and but you know i look back at david larry's last major work for me which was a ghost story right that film was incredibly like it was very slow paced david lowry has this wonderful um uh relationship with the the passing of time you know and that is something he wants to explore he's very obsessed with that and i don't want to claim this as my idea my partner actually explained to me like like this is her thought about it and i agree with her i'm going to give credit where credit is due um that this is in his relationship with that affects the takes right there's many long takes in fact i love the take that i first felt like oh it was a little too drawn was when we have garwin leaving uh on his quest yeah But oh, so with with those kind of moments, um, and then mixed in with other like aspects of, of filmmaking technique, like the sound design in this film was like so very rich and powerful. Like the mm-hmm. noises the Green Knight would make when he would enter the room, when he would move himself. And he has like, a, he has almost a a uh, almost like like a if you were to to break a branch off of a tree. Very earthly tones and and sounds and just it was just. I can see this film getting nominated for uh, like uh, achievement in sound design because of the small aspects. Films have been nominated for smaller aspects in terms of sound design, and I, I think this is a front runner for it. Um, but like those aspects, I enjoyed. And then like I would get all these uh, performers, these actors and actresses, specifically uh, Aaron Kellerman, Joel Edgerton, um, and and even um, Barry Coonigan, uh, as we said earlier. Like these three specifically. They were all surprises to me, and I think each one added their own spin on these these characters that um, would make his travels uh, more interesting. Like right, and, right. And, um, 
So overall, I think this is not this film's not for the faint of heart. This is not your Lord of the Rings. This is not your Witcher. This isn't anything like that. This is very. Um, this is an A twenty four film, and art came first, <laughs> uh, first and foremost. Uh, but you know I, what? That's everybody. All the players in this, both the performers, the the technical artists, uh, and the filmmakers. Everybody came to play here, um, and I think they made a piece for appreciators of the tales. Um, and people that are a fan of these types of stories and, um, yeah, yeah, that's my, I think, I think you touch on a really good point that, you know, people going into this expecting something out of like Lord of the Rings or, or Willow or anything like that, where you have very high fantasy, um, epics, epic fantasy, um, fair. I think it's, it's, yeah, you might, you might not be ready for what this film yeah. uh, is is telling. It's a, little, it's, um, it's a lot more intimate, especially in some of the settings too. Though we get like these wide landscapes, um, it's it's very deliberate that some of these landscapes are not filled with with eye candy. You know, right? We, right. we are uh, associating our eyes are are being directed toward the textures uh, to the point where it's like feeling things such as like faces and like mm-hmm. certain material that becomes a focal point for us specifically to where like some of these characters get like really great lines out of just touching things. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think intimate comedy and things like that. Yeah. I think intimate's a really good word for it. Uh, this film definitely, uh, there are times where this film feels maybe at times almost uncomfortably, intimate yeah. uh well we'll talk <laughs> little, about that a little too tender <laughs> right um but i don't know for me i feel like this film it comes in two halves uh for me there's the first half which is on you know on a just simple telling a story um you know metric is I think more engaging just because it's a much more normal set of events that occur and everything kind of leads into the next thing. And it's, it's not too artsy. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's the second half, which is very artistic and very out there and definitely, uh, is not for someone I think who is just going in looking for like a swords and sorcery adventure. I think if someone was going in expecting that and they get to like the midway point of this film, they'd be like, what did I buy a ticket to? Yeah. You know, it's, I'm reminded of our talk from Mandy where it's rather like, because of like the slow pacing of the first half of that film, um, you know, if you made it through that, then you were rewarded with like this, like vicious ending and things like that of like, oh, you know, all that uh, establishing, you know, slow paced kind of storytelling of just torture and agony is now going to be like a blood filled rage and revenge tale by the end versus this is like, uh, who wrote it? It was uh, one of these, um, I think it was Rotten Tomatoes and like the overview of the uh, the film of like the, the aggregate consensus was like uh, it deconstructs its source material in equal measure. Uh, and I, I like that. They, they wrote this on their critics' consensus. I think it's it's perfect. This is why we have things like Rotten Tomatoes. They give their... their um, their I don't know who the hell writes these, because I can't imagine they piece all this together. Some specific person writes all this. 
Well, um, yeah, they just they kind of make a um, a overall uh, kind of like I said consensus of like how everyone's feeling. Um, but I think with that, Zach, I do want to move in and uh, us ourselves deconstruct the uh, non-spoilery or excuse me, the spoilerful um, version of the Green Knight. So please, if you haven't seen it already and you're into artsy shit, uh, go watch the Green Knight um, by David Lowry. It is in theaters now. Uh, there are places online where you can find the film, stream it, rent it. Um, hopefully, A24 keeps this screening room access available after tomorrow's release. Um, tomorrow being August 18th, as per the day of this recording. Um, and I think with that, Zach, let us get into uh, our some of the meat and potatoes of this. Yes. Um, so, okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Get out, get out, get out. Uh, so do we want to talk... What do you want to talk about first? Because uh, there's a lot to discuss, but I feel like we need to address the really awkward hand job scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, like... Well, that that starts between, you know, Garwin's and Dev Patel's character's um, just w- issue with his relationship and it's in and of itself with... Um, it's, it's Alicia Vikander's character, right? Yeah, like, and the, pr- the problem is when you start getting into the specifics of the character who Alicia Vikander is playing in that moment and what it means yeah. in the greater story, it's a little it's a little worse than even what it visual. Let's just say, not since End of Evangelion have I ever been horrified by a handful of spum, but <laughs> put, that, put that on the poster. Like, I'll, I'll tell you what, like... It, <laughs> That that is such a powerful moment. One as like for the filmmaker to do that, like that take you know when they say that like it takes guts to be uh, an edgy filmmaker, like it's not like you need to show the fucking sex or anything like that. You don't need to show intercourse. That does not make you edgy, like in in a tasteful way. I feel like that's pushing it to a point. Um, but like this, like that's the deliberate scene where they just wipe it. You know, on yeah. like you know, you don't need yeah. to see the sex, but that I think speaks more to um, the kind of confidence that he has in himself, being able to put it out <laughs> an image. And I don't think it was to the detriment. It was definitely there was some shock value there, but it felt more. Um, I don't know. It felt more <laughs> it earned was, than it like, was meant to. Pounded. It was meant to just like belittle him, kind of. I feel you no, know, um, exactly. It, it and, exactly, and embarrass him. And but okay, we're getting we're getting way ahead of that. Yeah, I, I, mean, wanted, you, I thought, you really jumped into the deep that, end. Sorry, I couldn't I couldn't help it. It was it was definitely the scene that stood out for me in the movie. I was like, oh, Let, I, I, let's start at the disconnect between the audience <laughs> member and the source material because that's, so okay, that's where yes. I feel like the the biggest um, criticism lies is right. that because there was not. I mean, if you didn't know the tales or, let's say, Arthurian characters in general, mm-hmm. you could have a hard time following the story because there's, I mean, almost the majority of the characters, they are not named. You have to assume who they are. And maybe well, so, knowing one character, you could find out who the other one is, specifically so like like the queen. Played by, well, let's hear here. Let's okay, let's okay. talk. Let's, let's talk about this real fast. Okay. Go for so, it. um. If you know even like a little bit of Arthurian legend, there there are things in this movie that are just like kind of like easy and things where you're that take a little bit more um uh kind of understanding of the grand the grander scale of yeah. of 
of characters and stuff. So obviously, Sean Harris plays King Arthur, the King Arthur. I think he does a terrific job of of presenting an Arthur who is beyond his like his, his glory prime. days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's he's an old withered man. He's kind of sickly looking, and but but man, he delivers such a, a warm and and almost like I want to say wholesome performance. I think um, he does too, and it's like and and. Not only that, and maybe that's just more telling toward the tale, but, like, I just love that, like, his experience comes from, like, the delivery of his lines. Like, when, when after the Green Knight comes into the room and he, and you know, Garwin goes and says, like, oh, I'll, I'll take it. Arthur looks at him and, and Strawn Harris is like, you know, are you sure you know you're getting into? And I don't know. Right, if you, right. You can, I can credit that to the writing, but it's also, like, just the look of his eyes when he was looking and at him, like, you sure you, you want to do this? Like, this could be a lot. Um, there was yeah, that sincerity, like it's he he does so good, and then and but in that scene alone, like you have things like he looks to to the round table, and there's a man they don't say who it is, but when the when it shows red on his face, and he's got like um, uh, runes, like like um, kind of tattooed like, on him, tattooed on his face, you kind of go like, okay, maybe this is this is Merlin. He hands uh, Gawain his sword, Excalibur. Yeah. You know, and obviously, if you know I'll, that there's, what's I up? I want to say, like, can I just kind of refer to the fact, like, Excalibur did not look, uh, it, it looked just kind of like a normal sword, but because of the focus on it, like, it wasn't pompous, it wasn't this big flashy thing, but it was just like a kind of a powerful, just regular looking steel blade that everybody just kind of, it was all the actors, the extras, I think, the background well, I, that gave it the grandeur it deserved. I think like a lot of things in this movie, it it expects the it it expects that you understand what these what these yeah. symbols are. So when you see King Arthur you, and you and he's and he's handing someone a sword, if you don't know who King Arthur is, you can just go like, "Oh, it's the king's sword." That's that's a that's a mighty big uh, honor he's bestowing on this young knight no. to let him use a sword. Do but not. if you know exactly, it means you know, a lot wow, more. Like, he just gave him Excalibur, uh, Caliburn, if you will, uh, for for the uh, uh, more historic. Yeah, I was names. gonna say the initiated. Um, <laughs> you know what's interesting is is that first image of the film, and also that the voiceover, do yeah. like the mixing of that voice, so creepy, dystopian, and just kind of devil like, dare I say, uh, the thing of my <laughs> nightmares. It was That's just pretty so. Great. It I it was like I wasn't the expecting image, it. The yeah, image of Gawain with his head on fire. Super powerful. I loved that we got... And, and at one point they talked about... Um, or I think one of the lines was like, before sword pulled from... Or after sword pulled from stone or something like that. So you get some hints. I mean, like, like even if you watch like the Disney film about the kid, you know, from like the 60s. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like the sword right, of stone. Yeah. You sh- there's some semblance of, of things. And, and I'd like to think more, more people, you know, around our age group could kind of pull that... Um, out of there, but you never know. Right. Um, but then, you know, you think, like, okay, it's King Arthur. Obviously, his queen is Guinevere. That's, you know, pretty easy stuff. Um, and then they mention uh, Gawain's mother, who is very directly referred to at, uh, as, by Arthur as his sister. Um, so if you know your Arthurian legends, you know that his uh, Arthur's half-sister is Morgan Le Fay, who is a magical wielding 
lady who uh, oftentimes is trying to uh, cause harm to Guinevere because she secretly has a thing for her own brother. Not secretly, I think it's pretty outspoken. Yeah. But, um, and constantly, uh, it gets pretty messy. Let's just say that. There's some some not great stuff involved there. Um, But as far as uh, the grander adventure goes, when you do get to that castle uh, with uh, Alicia Vikander and Joel Edgerton, who uh, Joel Edgerton plays one Lord Bertilak. um, Like this character I've never heard of in uh, the Arthurian sphere, personally. It's literally just, I think, this story. Um, Oh, okay. And... Like at in one the, point, I'm like, "Is this supposed to be Merlin?" No, this <laughs> in the uh, in the actual poem, it's it's pretty similar. Um, I would say this movie is pretty pretty accurate to the poem until the ending, um, and we can talk about that in a minute. But um, so like in the poem, he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go and hunt. I'll bring you something every day, and whatever you receive in the house, you can give to me uh, at the end. You know, at the end of each day, and." you're kind of like, what does that mean? And that's where the kissing comes into play. Um, it like in the poem, he literally kisses him the once the first day, twice the second day, three times the third day. Um, uh, there is no hand job in the poem. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, you know, in the, uh, in this castle of Lord Bertilak, there's this woman who's walking around with the blindfold on. Yeah. And, uh, I believe, uh, that the big revelation in the poem is that everything, including the Green Knight, is orchestrated by Morkin Le Fay. We do see that in the movie. She kind of casts the spell to make him appear. I, it, um, tell me if my interpretation of this is wrong, but it almost feels like because she's trying to, like, she wants to help her son like be honorable or succeed or something yes. ways, so, like, that is how she think she's this is that's how it's supposed it, to be done it's pretty like much she okay, is great. she is trying to give him a, a good kick out the door and become the man he's supposed to be and yeah and and that means that she puts him in very perilous danger great great uh great mom doings uh morgan lafay thanks mom. but but that also means unfortunately that also means that the hand job scene is morgan lafay doing that to her own son um which is just all kinds of upsetting yeah um, if 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 the scene didn't upset you enough as is no i think i was upset by a lot of things um especially some of the tra- more traumatic tales on this journey um let's start at one of the first ones because i think this this last one with Joel Edgerton with the lord was was mm-hmm. the final uh, at least, um, uh, issue. What, what would you call like a like a happenings on your on your trek? What would you call that? Um, like one of, your, one, a, one of his trials. That was his a, final trial. If we're talking his, like Skyrim rules, it's a random encounter. Oh, excuse you. No, I'm gonna call them like <laughs> they're the trials that he has to face on his. Sure, journey. sure. So the first trial I thought was the most interesting. Um, in here's where I want to bring like the innocence of the character. Um, outside of the fact that he got into this fight without realizing what the hell he was doing, he even said the line like, "Oh yeah, I like I think I know what I'm doing." Um, yeah. Uh, except you know, without realizing the consequences to these actions, is that he trusts the word of this random um, 
you know, the scavenger. Uh, 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 Barry Keoghan. Yeah, who's obviously a type of character himself. He has all these things to and say, and he's in these weird garb. And can I can I pause right fast just to commend Barry Keoghan on his performance in this film? Because I saw I'm him go from a see... silent nothing to like, dude, the most yeah. charismatic person ever. Exactly. Like <laughs> he like if we're looking at him in like say like Dunkirk, he's a very reserved, he's very quiet. Yeah. Um and I don't know how he's gonna be in movies like uh Eternals. like the Batman or the Eternals. Oh he's in the Batman too? He apparently it's he's listed uh Is he listed young Bruce Wayne? Oh okay. Probably not. Okay. But but yeah in this he's so animated. He's so just like all over the place when they're walking across the battlefield. I love seeing um, that from performers like that they have like this full range of they could do just anything. Like that is that I mean listen that's that's academy award winning stuff right there. You know. And he just yeah you know he did a just it was one of those things where I kind of sat up and I was like this is the guy I'm thinking about, right? Yeah. I liked it though. And I liked where it brought the story too. Because I, as someone who's not familiar with the tale, um, ah. I was unex- you know, this was unexpected for me to like. I, I almost felt as innocent as Garwin on his journey. That like, oh, well, here, we were- here's the kicker. That is actually not part of the poem. Uh, it doesn't matter. Made for a great no, it, scene it, in the d- movie. No, it doesn't matter at all. But it's called it, but adaptation. It's, <laughs> it's it's interesting that it's like it's it's such a good scene and it's not even like part of the original thing. It's great. Yeah, and then we get like. Here's that that bit where after he gets kind of sacked and robbed and you know betrayed his trust betrayed by this traveler, um, you know a, also after like this weird deal like, you know the kid offered him direction and expected something in return. Um, and, I I don't think he ever expected anything. I think regardless of what Gawain gave him, he was gonna rob him. Yeah, it's just interesting that like this whole he's like oh you have my thanks and it's like oh is that not enough like just all these weird lessons that he's learning along the way. Um, and then, you know, I'll, I'll transition roughly into, like, this weird filmmaking move. You know, again, David Lowry's obsession with time. We have, like, this wonderful, like, 360 pan from oh, him yeah. tied up on the ground to, like, skull and bones, like, as if he were trapped. Like, if he did were to do nothing and his journey were to stop right there and then flash back into, you know, regular time. Um, and then he makes his escape. Um, Which we will see kind of be, uh, we'll see that same technique used at the end of the film. Yeah, like it's it's just another one of these like details um, that I don't know creates uh, a more interesting feel. Like how you know this is how a character could perceive like their emotions, their and just what's going on versus like you know him instantly trying to get out or you know get there. Like there's there's a dwelling. There's like a moment where we get to see one pathway. Um, I don't know. It was just an interesting technique. No, it's great, and and I love that we we get to see that Gawain is not this, you know, he's not brave. He's not he, he's he's young and foolhardy, and so he kind of goes into this this quest without really thinking about it, and and so when he's being like you know held at knife point, uh, he he panics and he he freaks out, and part of his journey is learning to to kind of be a man and and you know you got yourself into this mess it's only going to be you who's going to get yourself out it's you know it's crazy that like it, there's a bunch of moments of this he's because he's not a bad person per se like he just does stupid things his second trial Wait, is that he, exactly he's you he's know? young he's young and inexperienced exactly um so 
you know, I'll, I'll focus a little bit more on this scene just because we talked about like these these locations that they film them that they're kind of barren, uh, but like there's so much detail on certain aspects. So he meets the scavenger, right, on like this open battlefield yeah. of, of something, and you know, there's not a lot there. It's just it's remnants of a battle, um, just a lot of dirt, you know, dead bodies and and things like that. But not, but they're very sparse. They're you know they're kind of just out there, um, and then we get like this. Beautiful kind of long tracking shot following them as he traverses through. This I love field. I love that shot. It's so good. Um, oh, I just the, the the locations that they use on this place, like mm-hmm. these these weird forests and like these castles and stuff like that. And they're they're not like these gaudy looking things. They they took advantage of um, very specific places, um, and they got these colors just right. That like in a way they're almost like so muted. It, it wasn't until. Um, uh, in the second trial that Garwin went diving into the water for the head of uh, oh, yeah. St. Winifred uh, that I felt like these lights and stuff were a little, I mean, they were a little weird. That was when, when he's swimming in the water and it turns the bright, like, bright red, red and blue and stuff. I was, and I was a little You see him just kind of like going through it. That was a whole weird thing because again, Winifred does not have, she does not have any relation to the story of the Green Knight. She like is a completely unrelated Okay. person yeah um i don't know what the deal with having her in it was i mean again it was just a another chance for gawain to prove himself you know he dove in right. he returned her head to her um i thought you know there's a lot of points in this movie where i was like i wasn't supposed to laugh at that yeah but i gotta say when he dropped aaron kellyman's head and it rolled a little bit down the thing i was like <clears throat> I think the whole headless thing was a, you know, that was very on theme, though. We There were a lot yeah, of, of headless moments in this film. Um, I, going back to the cinematography, what did you think about about some of these, like, kind of shot? Like, the composition, I thought, was fantastic. There's a lot of great uh, looking moments. And I, in the intro to the film, too, where we kind of get the exploration of what I assume is Camelot. Um, right. It's, I love, like, these kind of slow, like, these dolly moves as we're, like, going into like the, the giant doors and over like these arches or inside these arches of like, like it's almost like one seamless movement and we get like from grand uh oh big stone building to like smaller inside um but they kind of stopped after that at the beginning and you know we were just getting these long takes at some point you know this um very orchestrated like um well, what's the word i'm looking for like composed like we're you know, characters standing right. there specifically at certain spots. They they were all right. Wow, but like some of these lighting choices. Like I said, I didn't like the one in the water. Um, was were there any other ones that stood out to you? Um, good or I bad? I mean, I mean, there's de- there's so many good ones. Everything in the in the uh, room of the round table. Yeah. Um, I love the lighting in that, especially because it's it's everything that is like magical is you know, it's it. it you know, goes against the lighting in the room. Like when the green knight lays the ax down on the, uh, ground and the moss starts growing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very clearly not affected by the lighting in the room where you're like, Oh, this is, you know, the magic seeping into the real world. Um, and obviously, uh, when he arrives at the green chapel, it is, you know, just the green is so heavy it was actually um, really I I loved it. I don't know if you you read this, but um apparently Weta Digital did the effects for the film. Yes, yes I did um, read that. So 
So I, th- I mean, they, I think they got what they paid for for a fifteen million dollar budget film. They got like the best company uh, ever to help them with with that uh, realization of the, of these visuals. Yeah, it was, it, they did a fantastic job. Though I think there was still some prosthetic um, prosthetic work with uh, uh, the Green Knight. Oh, and um, that that was all prosthetics. I think a lot of it was. Oh, that's, some that's even better. Can, I love that. Where you can see like. Uh, you know, on his hands, like you can tell they're gloves and stuff, but it's yeah. fine. It, 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 it worked. Um, and let's see, we've talked about, I want to talk, you know, a bit more. I love, you know, the, the performances in this, uh, between like, you know, Dev Patel, he just, he, he's a very, he, he's does such a good job showing the vulnerability of, of Gawain. You have, yeah. uh, uh, Alicia Vikander, uh, especially when she's playing Essel, not necessarily the lady, uh, but when she's playing the le- uh, Essel, and she has that great line when she says, um, "You know, why do you need greatness? Why is goodness not good enough?" Yeah, I'm and not, like I don't know, these lines are just like, oh god, they got the right, they got the right people for them. Yeah, and uh, I mean, again, Sean Harris. I think one of my favorite moments with Sean Harris in the film is um, when he goes to Gawain and Morgan Le Fay's house and he, you know, has uh, Gawain join him by the fire and as he's sitting down, he reaches into his mouth and he's, like, kind of, you know, messing around inside his mouth and then he just looks at Gawain and he's like, my tooth hurts. And you're like, like, what a... What a humanizing moment. Dude, that's what I'm talking about. Like, there's all these moments where, I forget who says it, but, like, he, he looks at him and he's like, oh, you have dirt on your face. And yeah, then just, same like, scene, same yeah, scene. exactly, and it's just, like, and that's not the only one. I think later, I think uh, St. Winifred, right, she had, like, the same, oh, a similar line to, or, or maybe it was uh, the lady in, in the, um, uh, in Lord Bertilak's uh, house, yeah. I forget what the f- they were saying, but like there's these just small moments that it's like kind of out of place, but they add some like lighthearted, you know, f- uh, not like fun, but like just like good good moods to like yeah. this kind of like not it's not a brooding story, but it's just like there is some sort of impending doom coming soon. If you realize, oh, he cut off this fucking guy's head at the beginning, and he's gonna get his head cut off by the end. At least, that's and you wanna you wanna you you kind of wanna you know, grab Gwen by the shoulders and be like, you couldn't just nick him in the shoulder or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give him a fucking, you know, a little pinch on the cheek. What or the hell, like man? Um, you know, I want to go back to the performance of the lady though. Like while they were at like the, the, the dinner table, we get like that little monologue that she, she delivered. Yeah, about that, the green taking over. Exactly. That was such a powerful moment. I, I love it. Magic is creeping into the world and it is taking over the, the mundane and the average and the ordinary, and they're entering a, a time of nature and a time of of magic. It's just it's very like I'm gonna yeah, say just, I'm gonna say here first uh, supporting actress nomination right now. I'm, I'm you think so? It. I think so, and I think I'm telling you, people have gotten nominated for smaller roles, and I'm that one scene alone, I bet that was such a powerful scene. Loved it. Um, uh, I also want to give a shout out to Kate Dickey as uh, Guinevere, 
Because I feel yeah. like a lot of times Kate Dickey, especially with uh, Game of Thrones and The Witch, she always plays these very mean, horrible people. And she was very sweet and very nice in this film. Until she um, read the the Green Knight's request with the Yes, but... Device. Right, but of course, that was more like Morgan Le Fay speaking through her. Because yeah. Morgan Le Fay, in the poem, Morgan Le Fay was using that whole encounter to try and scare Winif- uh, scare Guinevere to death. Right, So I, it, listen, it scared me to death. That was superb uh, editing right there in terms of the voice mix. I love that. Yeah, but other than that, Kate Dickey, just great job. I uh, like to see her pop up in things, and I like that. This time she got to play a nice a nice lady. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I feel like uh, along with that, um, I, dude, that, uh, I, I don't know. We went over the cinematography, went over the major performances. Um, let's talk, um, let's talk about the ending of the film because I feel like the, it's a point of interest and contention, I think, with me because, okay, so if we're looking, comparing it to the poem, in the poem... Uh, Gawain actually gets the sash from the lady in the uh, in Bertilak's, uh castle. Uh, in the movie, he gets the sash from his mom, but it doesn't. Well, does he matter. get two different sashes? Yeah. Nothing. Does he get two different sashes? Yeah, he gets one from the lady in the castle, and then he gets okay. one from his mom. But like, because right. the one from his mom it was lost. That's right. Stolen. No, it's. Yeah. I, see, I thought that was magic. It was the same one. Uh, well, I mean, I also thought too. So because also his horse just shows up at the Green Chapel. That you know, you're right. You're right. But um, so in in the poem, he uh he goes to uh meet with the knight. It it kind of plays out similarly where he he flinches uh on the he flinches on the the first strike he uh you know, has some issue with the second strike. And then in on the third strike, uh, the Green Knight just nicks him on the neck. And he's like, hey, you know, way to not be a, a punk about it. You you answered your summons and stuff. And you passed the test and blah, blah, blah. And then the, the moral of the story is that he returns home and he still had the sash and the sash was supposed to protect him against physical harm. So he wears the sash in shame of like, I lied, I failed at my quest and it becomes the rest of the Knights of the round table start to wear green sashes in to symbolize, Hey, like stick to your guns. Don't, don't pussy out, like be a man and, and own up to, 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 what you've got coming to you, right? Yeah. Uh, this movie kind of changes that a little bit, where he goes, he flinches on the first one, he freaks out on the second one, and then before the Green Knight can even attempt a third strike, he just dips. He he runs back to Camelot, uh, and and just just you know lives out a a whole lifetime before being reset. Like I said, it kind of, they, they had teased that, that a bit when they showed him tied up in the woods, uh, turning into a skeleton and then snapping back to reality. Yeah. We get, we get that whole kind of round again of like, uh, what is that? Uh, I'm trying to think of another movie that that'll kind of be like, Oh, it's all in his head. 
until the end. Um, or maybe it was lost or something like that. But it was interesting because yeah. typically whenever a movie will say, hey, look at all this that's going on and then say, actually, that didn't happen. Um, it's it, Part of me goes like, oh, that's crap. Like, you shouldn't do that. The whole it's it, all yeah, a dream it, thing it is... It was a little undeserved versus, like, I think in the moment in the context of, like, which these events happen and the fact that we've already seen, like, minor versions of this before, um, it, it meant more to the lesson of like, you know, facing the consequences of your actions with honor and, and well, yes, doing exactly. Those and, that like it, it was and, more rewarding to watch. And I think that like you get to see all these things that would have played out had he not owned up to his own honor. Um, where he goes home, he sleeps with Essel, he gets her pregnant, but then he has to give away the sell away the kid and and get rid of her, throw her aside because he will go on to marry a woman of like noble lineage and he'll become king only for then to have his whole family killed and his kingdom, uh, you know, torn asunder. Yeah. And all these horrible things. And then eventually at the end, he still loses his head. And then you flash back to, the moment right before the final swing. And this is where it really diverges in that he has this moment and he pulls off the sash and throws it aside. And then he lets the green knight do his thing. And that's an interesting point of difference. Whereas in the poem, he kept the sash on and returned in shame, having ultimately failed, lied and failed his, his quest. But here we have, he takes the sash off and he's commended for his for his honor. Yeah, and reward. I I like that though. I mean, one you you, I'm not saying it would have been for the detriment of the film if they wanted to end it on a low note because sometimes you know low notes make better films. I love a good sad movie. Um, well, sometimes, but it but at the same time, like I liked that you know after all of his treachery and his dishonesty and and his uncertainty. He, there was finally some semblance of like growth that we got. It, it did feel a little more rewarding to see that because we also did see what would happen if he wasn't rewarded. So like, uh, I'm just happy it ended where it did. Um, yeah, it was be- definitely a, a a great place to end. Yeah. I did not know. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, oh, well, I know what you're about to say, but before you say it, like it's just <laughs> I think it, it made more to his character. Um, just because, like, we did see the moments where he was not a bad person. You know, like, he went and dived into the water for somebody else to, like, help them sleep, so to speak. You know, rest yeah. better and, and things like that. Like, he's he's gone out of his way to try to, to do nice things. Or at least um, maybe what he perceived to be nice and just, like, helpful. Um, even with, like, the, uh, what is it, like, the little fox spirit thing? Right, uh, yeah. Which was an interesting aspect of the film. I, like, at one... Again, another animal in a film that reminds me of my relationship with my pet in the real world. Everything just looks like my dog in my eyes now. I am blinded by go. puppy love. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but I, yeah, even I like, predict what you were about. To, oh, well, go ahead first, and then I'll, I was. I'll I was just gonna say, even like you know, his when he when he comes to he and the fox find the giants walking. Oh, and dude, I love that ha- scene. And he doesn't have a moment of like. He doesn't have a moment of like, oh, I'm afraid of the giants. It's just he's like, hey, can I can I ride the valley on your shoulder? Like, you know, you can help me out. Yeah. Um, can, although I will, I will we, we I didn't will, really touch on that. 
I will take points off of the film for one thing is that in what? the advertisements they definitely show him on that cliff with the giant and the fox and the fox is howling and he lifts his axe up and he's howling too uh, and in the oh, movie yeah. in the final cut of the film he the fox howls and the giant howls but he just kind of stands there uh, you know I'm, I'm, like, not, I'm not gonna you know I've seen films use different takes for the actual uh, but, you know but I loved that shot from the trailer I loved that shot from the trailer, and Lowry, I, I won't forgive you. You know, they it, it's written here on him, on the Wikipedia for this film that due to COVID, he spent a couple more months <laughs> editing the film, uh, about like six more months editing the film before it was, or after the fact it was supposed to be released, but then was delayed because of COVID. Um, so maybe that was a change made during that time. Um, so we don't know, actually. Um, but... Um, I you know I like the ending. I, I think it was brought back to like the sense of like uh, satisfaction with the film. Yeah, no, there were like I said, there were certain parts that were a little, a little more dull for me. Like just in the fact that I felt like I was a little lost in, not in like some of the lore, but like maybe the liberties uh, mm-hmm. that Lowry was taking in, in terms of his, his time passage. Um, and I think that you texted me after you watched the film, like you know he can be a little indulgent. Um, that was that was part of this you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna you know harass any of these people for for enjoying (laughs) the thing that they like to do um i'm just thinking of that scene when when gawain shows up to the green chapel ready ready to to take his lumps and the green knight's like not yet i'm still sleeping yeah dude i like (laughs) and he's like he's like it hasn't it's not it's not a year (laughs) and a day yet and then literally like a day passes he's like okay now i'm ready I like that. That was that was like a fun change of pace, though. Like, yeah, I, I think bad. that was a good little. Like, there were certain parts where, like, okay, that was that was a good time. Um, and you know, like I said, I like other films. Filmmakers like are incredibly indulgent. Once upon a time in Hollywood, I don't care who you are. That is the most indulgent film I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Um, and it is better for it, I think. Um, you know, when you're a filmmaker like Quentin Tarantino, and you've had that relationship with filmmaking and films in general, you're allowed that kind of movie. And a yeah. pass, um, because you do it effectively. Anyways, um, but by the end of it, I was pretty satisfied. Um, now, there's a part about this movie that I, one, I didn't know about only due to a time constraint. And I don't know if you read this or saw it yourself. Zach, there's a post credit scene to this film. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I was like, I, I remember like getting up in the theater and being like, well, this is a uh, artsy fartsy A twenty four picture. There's no name one. Know, th- one of those films you've ever said after the credits. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, I'm getting out of here, and so I got out of there. And then I was like googling. I was like on my walk back to the car. I was like googling um, like the Wikipedia page for the movie, and it's like in a post credit scene, a uh, young girl finds the king's crown and puts it on her head. I'm like, what? Yeah, me. I, I'm like, I, I was on my back. way. Let, let me tell you what is that? I bought the tickets for the film, and I realized, oh, I need to go to the vet either before or after to pick up some of my dog's medication, and definitely didn't make it before the film. So I said, oh, I'll just get it right after. And then by the time the film <laughs> ended, I was like, ooh, I have like 30 minutes to get to the vet and pick it up now before they close. I need to do that. Um, and then while we were in the car, um, I think we googled it, and there was. Uh, post credits. Like, Damn it! Uh, we and I'm like, maybe we can Google it. I still have to I, Google it. I try. I did attempt to look up like if anyone had uploaded a bootleg no. version of it onto YouTube. They haven't. Uh, if okay, you're well, out let me there, tell you what, you... Though, 
that was a little overindulgent of of Lowry. Post credit scene for a film like this. What? Get out of here. That is that is yeah. my review on that. <laughs> Print, you know, send it out. That's it. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but I mean, uh your thoughts overall? I I liked it. Uh I didn't I didn't 100% love it, uh but it definitely it's a movie I want to see again and if I can say anything, I would say uh, come for the absolutely stellar visuals. Stay for the fantastic performances, and um, and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time. I, I you know, it, this like I said, uh, I when I think of this film now after seeing it, I def, it makes me think of that Macbeth man. That film, it it's also I mean that Macbeth is also spoken, uh, not old English, but it's like. Um, I don't know how you would call it, like just in Shakespearean language, you know, like, and I feel like this film, though, not spoken the same way, it just has that same kind of artistic level um, in terms of like sort of fantasy. That was maybe a little more high fantasy than that, but like that one's just a really pretty looking movie <laughs> versus if anything. And we'll, I recommend that film. Watch it if you have like two hours and you just want to get lost in something and like try your hardest to understand. But if you don't have that bandwidth, then you know, maybe this is not the film for you. If you've listened to this entire podcast and haven't even listened to the movie or watched the movie, uh, you know, spoilers. Ba- ba- well, yeah, spoilers. But like bandwidth <laughs> is very important. Go in there with an open mind. This is that's what this film requires. Um, anyways, um, I think that pretty much wraps up uh, our thoughts on the Green Knight. Um, I will say, you know, it doesn't look like David Larry has anything coming out after the fact that I mean, outside of this. Uh, what is this Peter Pan film? But, you know, when he gets his opportunities to do solo work, um, you know, it's not unwarranted. I would recommend, uh, you know, going out to watching it. And watching yes, it. indeed. Dev Patel doing anything uh, as well later on? Let me, I didn't actually click this. <laughs> are, you ask, are you asking him out on a I, date? I'm, I'm hey, Dev Patel, are you, are you doing anything later on? No, no, no. But like, in terms of his work, I really love, as a performer, But you wouldn't go fantastic. on a... A totally yes. platonic date. With I gotta tell you what, throughout Dev the entire Patel. film, I'm looking at him I'm like, dude, he's a handsome man. He's a really good looking guy. Um, he definitely, yeah. Oh, he was, that's right. He was in Skins way back in the day. Oh, you know what? He's directing and he wrote, co wrote an, an action thriller called Monkey Man that oh, is, sweet. I don't know when it's to be released, but apparently um, it is in oh, the world with Netflix. Film. Yeah. So, and described as John Wick in Mumbai. That sounds oh, awesome. Sweet. So look out for that. Um, but anyways, uh, that has been us here at Scripture Screen. Thank you for your ears. We appreciate the audience listenership. As always, you can find us at our website, www.scripturescreen.com or anchor.fm forward slash Scripture Screen. All of our past episodes are available on all your favorite platforms for your ears. Please give us a listen. As mentioned before, we have an episode about our other most anticipated films for the end of this year. So please go check that out. Please find us on our social media pages at Scripture Screen, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We also upload to YouTube and enjoy the episodes at your leisure. Like, share, favorite, subscribe, all the fun stuff. I am Chris Kitchen, one of your amazing hosts. That is Zach Strackman, your That's other me. amazing stroke. Uh, I was going to say your other stroke. amazing stroke. <laughs> that, that is I can't two- feel half my face. Uh, <laughs> 
I was thinking more of like you know the one scene in the film. But anyway, oh, um, that that kind little, of stroke. Yeah, that's a little more on topic and inappropriate. This has been script or screen. <laughs> Thanks, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Ooh, but oh wow, who would think? Billy, you can put this after the, the the end credits. But who would think that a podcast would have a post credit scene? Aren't I? Look how indulgent I am. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, I'm done now. Bye.